of Zion, the baptizing church. We love God's word. Welcome to today's message. the teaching of the word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Give the Lord a shout as you take your seat. Amen. Well this morning <clears throat> um, briefly um, we have um, a focus. We want to look at um, aviate. <laughs> so that's from the word aviation. So what, what I want to look at is how to generate escape velocity in life. To be able to mount up and to continue to mount up until you get to your destination. So the beautiful thing about an aircraft is that it doesn't just mount up. It continues to mount up. Because if, if, if it mounts up, and if it does not continue to mount up, it's called air accident. Is, is a major disaster. Because you don't just mount up. You mount up because you have a destination. So it's not just enough to celebrate the fact that an aircraft took off or takes off, as the case may be, at Mitchell Mohammed Airport. The celebration is that that aircraft sustains the momentum of that uh, takeoff until it gets uh, to its destination, which could be Abuja, London, or whatever. So if, if it mounts up and at the end of the day it doesn't get to the destination or something goes wrong, it's always fatal. And, 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 and that is what we want to avoid. So my first scripture this morning is Revelation 22, verse number 16. Please, those who are not really doing anything at upstairs, please can you just join us. I perceive we have too many people there. If you are not active, we need you. In service. <laughs> Praise God forevermore. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star. So the first thing we want to say this morning that is important is that there is Christ in your story. And your story is in Christ. Did you, did you hear that? You see, and, okay, don't let me jump by myself. There is Christ in your story. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad or how undefined you think your story is. And of course, the greater understanding you can have in the scheme of things is to situate your story in Christ. Because that's the whole essence of becoming born again. What does it say? If any man is in Christ. So that means until you are able to understand what you are going through, where you are, in the scheme of things, and situate that within the broader context of that deeper resource that is called Christ, it will be difficult for you to optimize or to maximize the imperative that you have in Christ. And I'm happy Jesus Christ introduced himself to us. This is one of the things you don't see in the epistles or in the gospels. This, this definition of Christ, which is the base of aviation, the base of our study this morning. I mean, look at Christ referring to himself. He said, I'm, I'm 
I'm, I'm the root and the offspring of David. So, so what do you think Christ is saying? That if you really want to understand me, you look at David. That there's something about David that captures my essence. That even in my post-resurrection form as the king of kings, as the lord of lords, there's one individual I'm rooted in. Uh, for those of us who did biology in secondary school, uh, if you didn't do biology, I don't know what you did. <laughs> you know, one of the greatest tragic is to go to secondary school and not to do science. Somebody say I'm an accountant, and I'm like, <laughs> where is physics and chemistry? For crying out loud. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> Please don't take that serious. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Because after all, um, one of the greatest regrets I also had later in life was that I didn't do the humanities. Because by the time I did my MBA, I found out that cognitive social sciences are as important as raw sciences. So I don't know why they divided the two. I think there should be an educational system that even up to SS3, you do everything. Then when you now want to write jam, you make up your mind how you want to go. <laughs> Praise God forevermore. So, so in, in biology, we talk about the root system and the shoot system, isn't it? So Christ is saying, when it comes to my root, David, when it comes to my shoot, offspring, David. So I'm the root and the offspring of David. And, and you begin to wonder, what is it about David? That even at this level of life, because the Jesus that is talking here was not the same that walked on earth, you know, many years ago. This was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is at another level of life. So he was bringing to bear certain realities that even the writers of the epistles could not capture. The closest to this revelation and the scheme of things was when Black Bartimaeus referred to him as Jesus, the son of David. So he had some kind of revelation. But not in this manner. When he now said, I am the root and the offspring of David. That means there is something about me that is Davidic. So if you care for a title, we call this the Davidization of Christ. <laughs> I didn't say David though. I said Davidization. <laughs> Praise God. Davidization of Christ. So how do you Davidize your story? Because if Christ Davidized himself, that means Christ is saying one of the ways, one of, see, in, in, in life, you, there, are, there are, you know, in, in, in cycles, Krebs cycle, TCA cycle. How do you explain that to those who didn't do science now? <laughs> how do you explain uh, nitrogen cycle, you know? Uh, I mean, um, it don't sound as if you are mentioning the name of a demon. I say TCA cycle, Krebs cycle. So th there is something that we call shunt. So in life, you see, God, God has many ways of doing many things. But at the same time, just like Apostle Sema said when he was there the last time, there are systems of advantage in God. You see, one of the systems of advantage in God is that you don't have a lifetime to discover certain things. So there are certain people in scripture who are patterns. 
So that by the time you look at them, your journey is shorter. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. So Christ is saying when it comes to me, one of the ways through which I operate is to Davidize my story. It will interest you to note that there are over 300 direct quotes from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Over how many? 300. About, about 320. That means direct quotation that they looked at a particular portion of the Old Testament and they quoted it in the New as the basis of determining the New Testament doctrine. We have about 320. Out of the 320, over 70% were quotes from David. There are two books that constitute the book of the New Testament. The Psalms and Isaiah. <laughs> so if you really want to understand the New Testament, those are the books you should be looking at. Because the crafters of the New Testament dug out the New Testament from Psalms and from Isaiah. But we are not dealing with Isaiah today. I'm looking at Psalms. And out of the Psalms, 97% of the Psalms quoted were direct Psalms of David. I mean, look, look at from, from the upper room. Peter stood up and he said, this scripture must be fulfilled. We, the Holy Spirit, spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas. That was how the New Testament started. From, from the upper room, it was, it was about David. Imagine Judas lived almost 2,000 years after David. But David spoke about Judas. <laughs> and only for Judas to fulfill what David said without knowing what David said. Because Peter had to come into the understanding by the Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit. So, so if ever there was a man who understood the Holy Spirit, you look at David. Because, I mean, that was Peter saying the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So in Psalm 69, David just woke up one day. He said, let his habitation be made desolate and let no man dwell therein. And in Psalm 109, he said, his bishopric, let another take. Only for Peter to say, if we match those two scriptures together, he was talking about Judas. <laughs> so that means when you are stuck in life at times, you just need two Psalms to bail you out. <laughs> so how did they start? That was Acts 1, right? They Davidized the story. And before you know it, they were like, okay, look at the day of Pentecost too. Peter wanted to prove to them the fact of resurrection. He had to quote David again. He said, David said concerning him, I see the Lord on my right hand, I should not be moved. He said, therefore, you don't leave my soul in there, you are not allowed, you only want to see corruption. He said, and, and it began, they began. David again. In Acts 13, in Acts 13, it's very solid. He opened to us the sermon note of Apostle Paul. If you, if you really want to know what Apostle Paul taught, you go to Acts 13. And in the sermon note of Apostle Paul, I think that was verse 35. You can put it on the screen for us. Apostle Paul said, there's something we need in the New Testament we must never forget. It's called the sure mercies of David. Oh my God. That means if you really want to walk in a dimension that is called mercy, for David, it is sure. Oh sure, Baje. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, can, can I give to us one? Sure. Why? Why was it that when it comes to mercy, one vessel 
that exemplified mercy fully was David. That they have to say the sure mercies of David. When we were in the Baptist church growing up, that is song. Anyway, I'm talking to a modern. You only know Ke Franklin. You don't know. Uh, many of you now, whenever I raise in Baptist church, you'll be Pentecostals all your life. God bless you. Amen. So they said David did not forget his mercy. Are they giving that to us on the screen? The sure mercies of David. Imagine. So, so, so when it comes to obtaining mercy, you want to look at an, at an individual that God had mercy on and the value layer, optimization and maximization of mercy. You look at David. That means his life exemplified the conceptual underpinnings of mercy. That if you really want to to know how your trajectory in life, your outlook in life, what it should look like by the reason of the fact that you have obtained mercy. And that's why for David, it's called the sure mercies of David. And in 36 of that same Acts 13, still looking at the sermon note of Apostle Paul, he said for David, after he has served his own generation by the will of God. So you want to know how to serve the purpose of God in your generation. You look at David again. So that was one man that scripturally served the purposes of God, the will of God in his generation. Uh, you, you can't give those things to us on the screen. What's going on? Praise God. Do, do we have? Okay. Now give 35 for us. Look at 35. Therefore, he also said, now that place, you not allow you only want to see corruption. What did he talk about? The short message. 34, yeah. That he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. You don't understand. So that means when God raised Christ from the dead, and he said, you are not going to return to corruption. What was it that God operationalized? The short message of David. That means once that message is on you, it does not matter what you are going through. You will never see corruption. That means it will never end in shame. Even to raise Christ, God had to operationalize this mercy. He said that you are not going to return to corruption. There is a factor I'm going to put in place. And that factor is the sure mercies of David. That means once you have that mercy, go and sleep. It is as sure that you will never see corruption. That, that this story is not going to end in shame. Look at your neighbors. I don't care what, what we are going through this morning. We are operationalizing something this morning. And that thing this morning is the sure mercy of David. Look at somebody that said the sure mercy of David is finding expression in your life, in your situation, in your circumstances. And it does not matter what is happening now. It is sure that you are coming out with thanksgiving. You see why Christ is rooted in David. So, <laughs> in aviation, there are four forces. I'm going to see those four forces at work in the life of David. How many forces determine aviation? The first force is the law of trust. 
Then the law of lift. The law of drag and the law of weight. So in aviation, how does a plane take off? It is to balance thrust with drag. That means thrust must be equal to drag. Lift must be equal to weight. So drag is what is pulling the plane. Doesn't want the plane to go forward. But what the pilot does is to generate what is called thrust. So once thrust is generated, drag is cancelled. The same way, why, how does the plane go up? Because don't forget, plane is going forward and going up at the same time. So there's also a law that is called drag. Trying to drag the plane down. That's why if, if you jump up now, you come down. So the version of the law of drag is acceleration due to gravity, which is 10 meters per second, approximately 9.8. <laughs> per second, per second. <laughs> Praise God. See, that's the beautiful thing about physics. <laughs> You remember a simple pendulum. Uh, so you derive your aspiration due to gravity. You draw your line of best fit. You find your intercept and slope. And aspiration due to gravity is going to be about 9.9. If you accurate 9.8, well, it must not be more than 10.1. Praise God. Anyway, that's free of charge. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So, drag is saying you are not going anywhere. But trust is saying, in spite of dragging me, I'm going to reach my destination. Weight is saying, you are not going anywhere. But lift is saying, the sure message of David. So once, once, what a pilot does is to manipulate these four forces and to make sure that drag is not greater than trust. The pilot cannot eliminate drag. The drag will always be there. Because to even land, you still need drag. And that is why laws don't cancel each other. Once they say something is a law, what you can do is to suspend it so, so as to allow you to do what you want to do. But you still have to return to it. You see, that a plane is flying doesn't mean gravity has disappeared. It's just that it's been suspended momentarily. Because for the plane to land again, you need gravity. Let me say this, because we are looking at David now. Even if I don't teach so much, if you can just capture the thematic analysis of what we're talking about this morning and go back home and study, and David, that's your story. That, that means, I mean, look, Give me Matthew 1, 14. Look at it again. Matthew 1, 14. This is important. Then I'll just teach briefly. Then we can go. Okay, you don't go. You fellowship after fellowship. <laughs> no problem. Matthew 1, 17. I beg your pardon. Now read this. Look at me. So, so that means... That's why I said you need to Davidize your story. That you are not a mistake. Look, exactly 14 generations after Abraham, David showed up. It's not a mistake. And you're going to see in that Acts 13 that when the people wanted a king, it was David God had in mind. 
And that's why, that's in Mark 13, if you read it, I don't know the particular verse, Nazareth can check for me. That's when they asked for a king, he gave them Saul. But he did not say he gave them Saul to be their king. What verse is that? But the Bible now says he rests for them, David, to be their king. He rests. So, so Israel asked for a king while God was still raising David. So, so they got, the, the season was almost accurate. What, what verse is that? 21. Please, can you give it to us on the screen, please? Let, let's look at this because this is important. Very, very important. After what they asked for a king. So what did he do? He gave them. So, in exploring the value layer of the sure message of David, be careful when you begin to sense the season, not to ask for something out of due order. Because you see that they were almost accurate. Because in their asking for king, it was around the time David was born. So God in his mercy already determined. See, there, there is what is called the mathematics of destiny. That means in the mind of God, certain critical events must happen every 14 generations. So that's why it was not a mistake that 14 generations exactly after Abraham, David showed up. That was supposed to be the beginning of the kingdom. So you could see that they were a bit accurate, but not, and, and in God, you know, there, there, are, there, there is no rough or approximate whatever in God. God is a God of accuracy. Yeah. If the answer is 10, God doesn't like 9.9. Because that 0.1 can mess up everything. That's how spiritual things Accuracy is important. So when a lady is sensing, maybe it's time for marriage. That's when you need to be careful more. Because you see, it's good to know. Like Israel got that timing right. But what they did not get right was to wait some few years more for God to finish raising David. Look at it again. They asked, give it to us. Hallelujah. I didn't say take it away. Please just leave it there. Afterward, they did what? They asked for what? But did he give them a king? So he gave them what? The son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. He didn't mention kingship there. But look at the next verse. And when they had removed him, what did they ask for? Who did he raise to be king? <laughs> he just gave Saul. But he raised David to be king. So, so he didn't raise Saul to be king. So, so while God was busy raising David to be king, they asked a few years earlier. Few years earlier in God can mess up everything. So we need to be careful. Some sisters, possibly if they just waited another one year, they would have met the right guy. But you see, that's trying to be like everybody. You see? And they wanted to be like everybody. That was what battered that too. They said, give us a king like every other nation. And God said, no, I'm raising somebody for you. Because this man is 14 generations after Abraham. You see, one of the things we begin to come into in this regard is mathematics of God. Let God work out the mathematics of your life. Some events of your life are timed. Don't go outside of God's timing. It is always very dangerous. So Saul was the control experiment of missing out on accurate timing when it comes to God. 
So don't blame Saul too much. There is no way he could have capacity to be king. Because God did not raise him to be king. He just gave him Saul, the son of Kish, a man of Benjamin. <laughs> but the Bible says he raised David. Give, give it to us again. They asked for king. He raised David to be what? As king. To whom he gave a testimony and said what? Have found David the son of Jesse. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. That was what Christ identified with. He said, sacrifice and offering you not the body you have prepared for me. Then said, hi, Lord, I come in the volume of book. It is written on me to do your will, O God. For God to vouch and say, this one will do all my will. He was not a perfect guy, but there was nothing God asked David to do that he did not do. And Acts 13 testifies, after he has done the serve his own generation by the will of God, he slept. That, that's a summary of the kind of life we want to see. That by the time you are dying, you have done the will of God. He was not a perfect man. So God is not saying until you are perfect. But he had a perfect heart. So let's, let's look at drag. How do we start out in life? Drag is Bethlehem. Isn't it? That you were not born in Jerusalem, you were born in Bethlehem. It's a major drag. Because here you are, everybody is, and, 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 oh my God. You see, that's why I say you need to Davidize your story. In our story, as we look at everything that is happening to us, there, there, there are some things we regret. But those things are power in God. For example, some of us are, where you are now, where are you now? With respect to your career, you know, some kind of Bethlehem. You see, give me, give me Matthew one seventeen again. Very important. You will see how Christ so fully identified with David and Christ made sure that when he was going to be born to, he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Look at it. From David until Babylon. What is it again? Another 14. Why 14? And from Babylon to Christ. Another. So that means in the program of God for you. There are three individuals that are very, very important. That explain to us the realities of Christ. Number one, Abraham. Abraham is always the beginning point. It's called your faith walk. But somehow. In the sequencing, you, you've got to be Davidic. That means it's no longer just the faith work. It's now a heart that is after God. And it is when you get these two right, you maximize and optimize Christ. That's what that equation is telling us. And not getting the three right, there's a, there's a manifestation there you don't like. It's called Babylon. That's confusion. Captivity and carrying away. So that means in the equation... If you don't situate your story in Abraham and root it in Christ and finally optimize it in Christ, you are confused. So that means somebody 14 generations after David ought to show up. It was when there was a vacuum in history which the things of God cannot accommodate. The people had to go to Babylon. Oh, you don't understand. Because every 14 generation, as we are seeing, something was happening. So in another 14 generations, something was supposed to happen. Nothing happened. 
So the people became confused. And God had to say, look, when nothing is happening in, in the right timing for people, it's called Kairos moment of God's people. Then they go into captivity. That is when there are forces in life. This is why people get, go into spiritual warfare. There are some believers, their lifestyle is perpetually spiritual warfare mode, trying to come out of one captivity or the other. It's a question of fact that you need to look at your life again. So, so look at David, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It didn't make sense being born in Bethlehem because one of the greatest regrets some people still have today is that they were born in Nigeria. So somebody is in service this morning who want to go to Canada. But the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go to Canada. You know yourself. <laughs> don't go to Canada. Because you are going to Canada because you want to survive. You are trying to escape your Bethlehem experience. It was, it was so, so serious because Christ is the root of David. That Christ, that's why the fact that Joseph and Mary married somewhere else. I mean, God engaged somewhere else. Mary became pregnant. God had to orchestrate the political order of the day. This is how God wants to make a decree. Remember the story. Everybody should go back to their local government to go and register. So Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. The Bible says it came to pass that while they were there, Mary had to give back. God orchestrated because Christ, God was trying to tell Christ that, look, you are not just going to identify with David strategically, even in nativity, where you will be born. And that's why I said there is Christ in your story. Look at me. It does not matter what you are going through this morning. We are trying to make this simple as it can be. Situate it in Christ. It will, it will have another meaning. Because this same Bethlehem that's supposed to be a drag became a trust for David. So in Christ, every drag is a trust. When you look at it in the flesh, it's a drag. But when you look at it in Christ, and Christ flips it over for you. Because there was David. He, was, he, he didn't start out like, and that's why we say situate your story within the context of David. He didn't start out life like a great person. He was the only member of his family that did not join the army. So the father just said, go and look at the sheep. Look at Psalm 78, the last three verses. Give it to me. Because some people, you know, they all, I think it was last Sunday uh, in, in, at home, we were having a meeting with some of the young people that work with us, and I was just sharing with them certain lessons in life that unfold. Maybe one of these Sundays I'll come and do that here. A lot of young people don't know. If you really want to learn life lessons, look at David. Psalm 78. What why is a drag a trust at the same time? Look at all his brothers. He also chose David his servant and took him from where? Be careful how you interpret your lowly or, or your days of little beginning when you are in the sheepfold. You are not known. You are not an hero. 
Somewhere there. Look, look at it. Please stay there. Move on. From following what? It was he is a female sheep, right? What was David doing? <laughs> following. He used a hard young. He brought him to do what? What what is what is the see, it was like a drag. Because he wasn't popular, he was not with the army. Everybody was already receiving one star, two star. David was just there serving, following animals. And God said, from there, I'm going to bring you to come and shepherd. Because you cannot learn shepherding until you are with the sheep. But unfortunately, a lot of people are with the sheep, but they are not learning shepherding. Because your heart is not there. So I was telling the young people on Sunday, I said, one of the greatest tragedies of our time is that a lot of young people are nowhere. You are not anywhere. So, so when this Bible says, where thou art, God is saying, Adam, where are you? Because you are somewhere, but your mind is somewhere else. So David did not even know there was another world. His whole world, you see, it looked like a drag, but it was a trust. God does not go to the palaces of life to look for kings. He goes to the sheepfold. Where, where somebody is totally sold out. You know how sold out David was? Dr. Sam, even after David became an essay to the president, he still went back to Bethlehem to take care of those sheep. You don't understand that level of commitment. Here you are, you are now working in Asorok in Abuja, but you are still going to give me one city. <laughs> Abuja is still good. It's a city. <laughs> you are still going to Ikiri. <laughs> to go and take care of the sheep. That means David never forgot where God took him from. A lot of people forget. So the story of David is showing us how God takes people. Look, look at it again. He was following those animals. And God said, look at the king. So, so don't just think Saul sinned and God was just saying, I'm looking for a king. Oh yeah, David, you come and become king. How did God raise him? We are looking at the process of raising David. He, followed, he brought him to come and shepherd his people, Israel and his inheritance. So look at verse 72. What are the two things you need to develop? He shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. See the kind of king God is looking for? Integrity. Look, don't misunderstand me. It's good to aspire in life. You are working where you are being paid 100000 You are looking for where you are going to be paid 150000 if that is your motivation, you are not Davidic. If for every 20,000 increase in salary, you are ready to quit, you are not Davidic. At times, the wisdom is stay there. Not that you are stupid, but stay there. Because you see, it is important for you to do certain things that will allow God to find you. Because God was looking for two skill sets, critical. Number one, integrity of heart. So when I'm saying I'm here, I'm here. And look at the second one, skillfulness 
given to us of hand. Guided them by the skillfulness of hand. So look at how the drag became a trust. And more importantly, as I begin to wrap it up, David was just serving. Look at me. I see the young people in church today. Do you serve at this level? Is there there integrity of purpose? That you know, or, or you see this life. Look, let's separate the gospel from success motivation. Because it will help us. Success motivation is not gospel. The gospel is as many. And, and how do you know that Babylon is beginning to raise its ugly head? What's the definition of Babylon? Confusion. When, when you have too many options, and you don't even know wh- why you are where you are. And that's true of, of young people, especially the younger generation. You don't even know. There's no conviction. There's no integrity of heart. So anybody can just come and say, oh yeah, there's, and you are running. You're running. People are running. Just looking for opportunities. You see, life doesn't work that way. So you see, they've been going back again. So that means there are some principles in God you need to revisit again and again, no matter how highly placed you are in God. May you find those principles. That you are like, I, that means for David, it does not matter. Even if I'm king, I must go back. And it was one of the days he went back that the father found him and said, unknown to him, that will also kickstart another development for him. It was because David went back to feed the sheep that he met Goliath. Because he was around. The father said, oh, now that you're around, go and take these things to your brothers. Look at me calling. David could have been offended and said, ah, because as the essay to the president, there will be some pecs around you now. David could have said, oh, you, PA to SA, go, go, go and take it. May, may God simplify our hearts to know that there are some errands you can't send another person. When it comes to the errands of destiny. Because as the special assistant to the president, he was the armor bearer to Saul at this time. He was already working in Azor Rock at this time. So he too, we have some boys. And the father said, Abby, for crying out loud, what did the father say he should take? Bread. And they could have said, work for the boys. And say, oh yeah, you, come here. Take, I mean, he will never meet Goliath. You see how God takes people. Discern the roles father, fathers play in your life. Fathers prepare us by default and by design for destiny. And that's why you don't fight fathers. We don't know whether the Holy Spirit spoke to Jason. He just woke up and said, David, only for David to get there. Now it's not making sense that Bethlehem is not a drag, it's a trust. Because his brothers joined the active military. But at the backside, God was training David. In Psalm 18, he said, Blessed be God that trained my hands to war and my fingers to battle, that a bow of steel. Is broken by my hand. In the same time, said, by my God, I can run through a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. 
he didn't go to military school, but God trained him. So that means that means it is it is in your Bethlehem moment that those who have gone to Harvard, God is giving you the same skill set that they have and greater. Because you, you, you know why you are there. So, so that means the military skill that David had, even his brothers who were in active military did not have it. You know why? It was God himself who was training David. So look at me. One of the manifestations of the sure message of David is that God is training you. Suddenly you just realize that you can do some things. Look at your neighbor and say, when last are you conscious of the trainings of God? I mean, you are just conscious of the fact that, ah, I'm being trained. I'm being trained. Here you are, like Collins, maybe you are a physiotherapist, but suddenly you just realize you could do many other things. It's called the trainings of God. And, and that was what Saul did not realize. He looked at David and was like, this, this guy. And when David now said, ah, look, not only am I trained in strategic warfare. I'm also trained in warfare by other means. He said, your servant was keeping the sheep. Oh my God. You see, this sheep issue, maybe establishing that, because every breakthrough David got was from, look, why did David kill the lion? Why did David kill the bear? To save one sheep. So he said, we were feeding them, a, a lion came. And David was nice. He didn't want to kill that lion. <laughs> he said, he tried to defend the sheep. Read the story, read the testimony himself. He said, but when he came against me, Sam, he left to David, he was like, lion, be going, oh, don't let us fight. Because there's a level of training here. I, I, I will finish you. <laughs> but lion felt, who is, he said, since we've been lions, no human being dared to stand in our way. How dare you? But David said, I have mercy. I'm an exception to the rule. You can't eat me like you eat every other person. And it was I took him by the beard and smote it. Only for a beard to come and repeat the same thing. So they went to the kingdom of animals. They said, there is a man. And they said, let's send our best. They <laughs> sent a beard. And David said, what I did to Eli, I'm going to do to you. And he looked as well. He said, the Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion and that of the bear, who also delivered me from from this Goliath. That's why I say you need to dividize your story. Hallelujah. I want to share a scripture with us to show you the significance of the lion and the bear. Psalm 28, verse 15. Proverbs, I beg your pardon, 28, verse 15. I'll begin to ramp up. This guy you get on the keyboard. I think we've said enough. Proverbs 28, 15. 15. One to go. Everybody read it. So when David was killing the lion and the bear, <laughs> God was showing him that Goliath is a wicked ruler. It's like, like, so in life, one of the ways you know you have obtained 
the sure message of David is that you want to do some things that are like some things. So when you see some things, you are like, ah, this is like. So that understanding comes to you. That this, that this Goliath can be making noise, but it's like the bear. It's not different. It's like the lion. And David got that accurate. He said, the Lord that delivered me. But more importantly, we're looking at how to translate the drag into a trust. So the trust is found in the drag. Don't be too much in a hurry to jump out of the processes of God, the trainings of God. So, so, so every other person was used to using the armor to fight. But the kind of training God gave to David was how to use the sling. So when it came to Goliath, Goliath tried, the, I mean Saul tried to dress David. He said, well, David said, I can't wear this. Warfare by other means. And I'm sure Goliath, I mean Saul was like, what are you going to use as sling? Even Goliath was like, you are coming. But David understood that in level, it's not about the weapon you are holding. It's about the name of the Lord. He said, you are the one coming against me with weapons. I come against you in the name of the Lord. Now look at First Kings, the last scripture. Don't always forget that you are a gift to your world. And one of the things gifts do is to create what is called indebtedness. Let your world be indebted to you. That is lessons for a lot of young people. And look at this. Look at this. Verse 17. I need this to put it on the screen. First Samuel 16, 17. Or oh, I summarize it, but put it on the screen for us. This is where you now see that every drug you have, David dies your story again. Situate it in the root that is called David. You, you will begin to see Christ. Because Christ is the root of David. Dr. Sam, if it was only warfare God trained David in, that would be a wasted destiny. He trained him in many other things. And that's why in life, look, young people, let's get into God. You will be trained in many things. So, now, there was stress in the system. Saul became distressed and evil spirits started attacking him. And they needed someone who could play. So you begin to wonder, how can somebody that God is training in warfare also be a player of harp? And, and look at it. Saul said, get me the best. And look at what the guy said about David. He said, bring him to me, a man who can play well. And one of the servants answered, you are a gift to your world. Let it be that people cannot describe you one way. And let it be that when you are employed to do one thing, be able to do ten other things. 
Let it be. Like I told the young people last Sunday. You are not holding back. You say, Lord, young people hold back. They say, walk from eight to five. And once it is five, you are going home. That, that is not Davidic. Look at the system. Don't go there. Just say, how much are they paying me? You know, that's the mindset of many young people. Tony, I hope that's not your mindset. How are they paying How are they paying me? I can't come and keep myself. You see, once we begin to talk like that, Babylon. I can't come and keep myself. How much are they paying? Look, it's not how much. Not, you see, oh my God. One day, you realize that nobody can pay you. Only God can pay you. So create indebtedness in the system. Let, let the kingdom of God be indebted to you. So I told the young people, let's say someone like Prince Will now. Because, you see, I, I assume young people know some of these things. So everywhere I go now, I'm teaching these things. It does not matter what you know how to do. Let's say you suddenly, let, let's say, um, peace now becomes the best videographer in the world of Nigeria or in the whole world. And TBC now needs your services. Please, don't charge TBC. Create indebtedness in the system. A lot of young people don't know it's not good. It's, it's just that you don't know. Imagine somebody's in a church and his pastor needs a service for something that he does every time for other people. I'm not even talking about that you can just do for free. But, but you say a young person still charging. Look, by not charging, you are not stupid. You are created indebtedness. That is what gifts do. This guy that spoke, you think it was just because David was good? You listen to what he said. He knew David in and out. So David must have done so much for this guy that David just said, don't worry. Just like, just like Joseph in the prison, interpreting the dream of the butler and the baker. See, there are some people you interpret their dreams. You'd, even if they want to pay you, you say no. Learn as young people to just say, give me transport money. I'm money enough for bread and water. I will serve you. <laughs> See, some young people are looking at me and they're like, we have been enjoying you either too. Don't bring that. this one into it. But, but it's a principle of the kingdom. You are an hairdresser, for example, and your pastor says, let's say, Pastor Mike, come and do my hair. I like 15,000. Ah. Ah. That, that's not being Davidic. That's not being Davidic. Like, like I, I was telling some of the young people I was talking to, I said, the truth is that every pastor who is also God-fearing, even without you asking, will bless you. But once you ask, you have created transaction. And in most cases, there's no mercy again. Because everyone who has been trained by God, they also know how to take care of people. And they don't take people for granted. They're always there for people. Now look at this. The guy said, I have found seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. So he knew him. He knew his father. Who is skillful in playing? A mighty man of valor. Uh -uh. So that means the guy must have seen David display some kind of military mind. He said, that guy is a mighty man of valor. A man of war. 
prudent in speech. Let, let, let's underline that. Once you are Davidic, you don't talk anyhow. In fact, one of the most difficult things for you to do is to talk. You are prudent. You don't walk somewhere and you are the one behind the scene criticizing your boss. And I told her, I said, once somebody provides you accommodation, job, what again? Salary, a means of livelihood, provides you what again? Even food, you are indebted to them. That's been Davidic. Have you, have you seen so many young people who live with other people? You live with them and you are working. Not even a grain of rice. Have you contributed to the economy of the house? That, that's not being there. Where did we get that from? How you, you come here, you go out. You even greet them. They put food on the table, you eat. And, 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 and you go to Ikire or Shogbo or whatever to greet your parents. To even come back with one green plantain, you will never. You just come in. Tell her you are fine. I'm back. What is in the house? There's jollof rice. And you can sit on that dining and start eating that jollof rice. And you don't feel guilty in your heart and you say, hey, I'm indebted to this system. In fact, we, we, we have a lot of young people. People house you and you fight them in their own house. You keep offense and madness with them in their own house because of the way they treated you in their house. You come in, they just go, good morning, and you are going upstairs. And I'm like, what's all this? Or you have lived with people before. Now you are walking. God has helped you, an uncle, an auntie, whatever, and you have never looked back. Maybe at Christmas or Easter or whatever, and just buy some groceries and take to them. You are not being Davidic. And these are, these are deeper lessons in David that a lot of young people are missing. It's called entitlement mentality. And because you are not prudent in speech, you call your friend and say, I don't like the way they are treating me in the house. Hey, you, you are talking. David never told anybody. Never said what or did wrong. And, and even when Saul died, it was now time for David to say, David released an album. He titled it The Song of the Bow. And he said, teach the children of Judah how to play the bow. David prayed Saul to high heaven. He said, how oh, the mighty falling. Look at that song David released in memory of Saul. He never said anything Saul did wrong. Instead of saying what Saul did, he started praising Saul as if Saul was the best king. Because David remembered there was a time, this was the guy that accommodated me, that fed me. The fact that he turned against me doesn't mean I'll turn against him. You can hide from the javelin, but don't throw back. Because if they, they throw javelin at you and you pick it and say, eh, eh, so it's javelin. And you are like, okay. I'm, 
by my God, I can run through a troop. I leap over the wall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's my strength and my shield. He keeps back. And you are like, I'm a skillful warrior. So it's war. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are times you need to run, but don't throw back. Even when they say pin him to the ground, they say, no, he's the Lord's anointed. This guy once fed me, accommodated me, helped me. I will see anybody that minister to you at the other level. It does not matter even if it's a chronic womanizer. It's the Lord's anointed for you. Because the one David was calling the Lord's anointed was a mad king. Understand what it means to be David. It wasn't that he was anointed. In fact, it was an evil spirit even at work in him. That's why they brought David in to come and be blamed. But David said, he's still the Lord's anointed. So what, what is the take home from this message? There are some people before the end of this month you need to send a bag of rice to. Right, Joseph, isn't it? I'm not talking to you personally. I'm just saying, support me. <laughs> Can I have a witness? <laughs> okay, it's 11. Let's, let's wrap it up. Now, give us our scripture again. Let's, let's close with that. Prudent in speech. Of course, an handsome person. People like this are always handsome. So ladies, if you want to marry, tick, just tick all those things. Within the, any guy that comes to your house and is talking. Especially authority levels. Blessing factors in his life. He's rubbishing them. He will rubbish you one day. That he comes, all he's talking to is how his uncle maltreated him, how his auntie maltreated him, how at work. Just know that this is a tailbearer. He's not prudent in speech. And he's a very handsome person. And the Lord is with him. And immediately Saul said, that's the kind of guy we need. That's palace material. Look at how David got into the palace. Look at how drag became a trust. So in your low moment, learn skills. And the greatest skill you can learn in the scheme of things is how to play the harp. May God interpret your own harp to you. Because what takes you to the palace is harping on your harp. <laughs> David did not submit any CV. But the gift of a man will make the society to be indebted to you. Will make people to naturally want to favor you. And look at it, next verse. Oh my, I'll have to stop. I'll continue another time. Verse 19. So Saul says, send Jesse, David to me. Who is again where? <laughs> this sheep boy. Turn every drag to trust. Turn every way to lift. And look at what Saul did. I mean, Jesse did. That's why only Jesse could have fathered David. Jesse did what? Took a donkey. With what? Bread. A skin of what? And a young goat. And did what? Send them by his son to Saul. When you become parents, and people accommodate your children, learn to bless them. Don't take it for granted. As one we testify, there are some people who have lived with us, for like a year, the parent never called once to say thank you. Not once. You say, you can ask that. 
I mean, to even call. I mean, we were in Abuja then. Your child was serving in Abuja. Left orientation camp and said, live with us for one year. And the parent, both father and mother, never called. Don't be that kind of parent. Look at, immediately, they announced to Jason that David was going to start living with Saul. Look at all that Jason sent. Jason could have said, after all, he's going to the king. But David, Jason understood the principle. Because where David was actually going, he didn't need any of those things. But so, Jesse understood is a principle. If somebody accommodates your children, bless them. Don't say he's a billionaire, he doesn't need anything. Still send it anyway. Jesse did. So what do you think Jesse was showing David? He was showing David life. Let me show you one more scripture. So we can balance this up. First Samuel 27. Pastor Mori, I'm a man under authority now, so please just give me two minutes. <laughs> First Samuel 30, 31. Right, Joseph, look at this. This is very, very important. Maybe we should begin to read from 29. First Samuel 30. Maybe from 29. Look at how David now, Jessica, manifested the lessons. Begin from verse 28. This was one of the stories I shared. 27. How did the story start? 26. Twenty-six. Now, David, see, this battle of Ziklag was the first breakthrough of David, his first economic breakthrough. You know, before he was hiding in caves, hiding everywhere. This was the first time. He fought all by himself and his men, and they took spoils from war. So you could say this was his first major breakthrough in life. What did David do with that breakthrough? He sent some of the spoils to the elders of Judah. Because there was a time the elders of Judah supported him. David not said, this is our first breakthrough. Oh boy, we've been in caves. This is time to go to Sheraton. Let's go and chill out. David said, while we are running Elta Skelter, some people supported us, elders of Judah. To his friend, saying, here is a present from you, for you from the spoils of the Lord. Then verse 27, started showing us those he sent to. So you now, you now begin to imagine what was left to those who are in Bethel, to those who are in Ramoth of the south, to those who are in Jatar, move on, ah, to those who are in Arua, to those who are in Sitmon, to those who are in Estamoa, to those who are in Raqqa, to those who are in the cities of Jeremiah, to those who are in the cities of the Kenites, to those who are in Omar, to those who are in Koshan, to those who are in Attack. So what is left? To those who are in Hebron and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. You don't understand? David said there was a time where just band of rovers and some people accommodated us, gave us food, supported us. This is our first breakthrough. Let us send to all of them. That's why Jesus said, I'm the root of David. You were in school. Some people helped you. Now you are working five years, ten years down in line, not one naira. You are not being Davidic. And that's why you are not seeing serious manifestations of Christ. David remembered. And don't forget he was still poor here. He was not yet king here. And he was already doing this. The moment he became king, he said, is there still anybody in the house of Saul? 
So that for the sake of Jonathan, we might do the person good. Imagine this kind of heart. Everywhere. So that means even the writer of that first Samuel could not capture the entire list. So he summarized it by saying all the places. That means once we give David a cup of water, a glass of, is indebted to you. So when breakthrough comes, David said, we're not going to share this thing among ourselves. There are some people who helped us in the way. Let us send to them. Because at times, the breakthrough you need is that your auntie in the village praying for you. Oh, you didn't hear what I said? Because the breakthrough David had was Jesse blessing him and sending him. But somebody will say, I don't have enough. So David did not have enough too. But this is also a principle that will ensure that you have enough. Are we learning from David there? Where did he get this from? From Jesse. Look at what Jesse sent to Saul. So imagine those things getting to Saul. Saul will be like, ah, ah. What kind of father is this? It's a principle in God. Never, never take anyone for granted. Shall we rise up this morning? Oh, blessed be God. Blessed be God. So what's the whole essence of this teaching? Is to say change or recalibration of that is aviation. What do you So there are too many weights. There's too many drags. But at the same time, God is saying trust. And what? Lift. Can't pray in the spirit for just a minute. To sink in all this principle. Rakadina masudobo. Rakite masop rakadina kasudobo. Father, we give you praise. That you establish us in this word. And in all righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed be God. Let me also help. A pleasure this morning to receive our tithes and offerings and gift of love and pledges. I feel the preacher should always do that. <laughs> Amen. So the account number is on the screen. We know. I, I think we're getting to that point where we don't need to be collecting offering in services again. We already have the account number. Just put it in. But for the sake of uh, first-timers and those who are not used to that, we have that. So let's give a minute. You can make a transfer right away using um, the account on the screen. And if you want to give physically, do we still give physically? Okay. The pure okay, there is a okay. So we don't pass basket again. If you want to give, there's a basket there, so I'll make it easy for people. But please, we are all this is digitization now, we're all digital entities now. <laughs> so let's have the account number. And you don't have to do it in church, it's religion. I have to do it there. You can do it before you come here, you can do it after service. But what is important is that do it. Praise God forevermore. Like, I've not done mine now because I, I came a little late. But I'm going to do it once I get back to the office now. So, what is important is that it must not be done forcefully. You must be a cheerful giver like David. None of these guys asked David for any of these things. But David knew. That's the right thing to do. And that's why it's recorded for us. And that's why Christ said, I'm rooted there. 
and I'm the offspring. Now, is it Davidic principles that I also came to open up the more to people? Praise God forevermore. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning. I look forward to fellowshipping with you sometime again as the Spirit of God will release us. As you can see, I've dropped all the weights. He said, taking, why did he put it? Lay aside all weights. <laughs> and, and, and it's really working. So that's part of the retreat I've been going through. God has been helping me. I mean, no. For more online messages, check us out at www.soundcloud.com forward slash TBC Mainland.